son, Jesus. Amen. John chapter 15, starting at verse 17 and going on to 6 verse 4. If you would follow along, it would bless my heart, and I know it will bless yours as well. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, have, would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. When their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Thanks be to God this morning for his word and his faithfulness to it. Well, if you picked up a bulletin, you have a sermon outline. Our final title in John 15 is In Christ, Abide and Bear Witness. Abide and Bear Witness. Our call to begin with here is to endure and bearing witness before a hostile world. Have you considered how simple evangelism could be if you knew that every time you shared the gospel with somebody, they would just believe it? that they would say, thank you, that they would say, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Yet when we look at the ministry of Christ, how often does that happen? It's not very much. Even in those cases where people seemed to receive Christ and seemed to want something from him, they revealed often that they wanted only something and not him himself. We live in a world that is hostile to truth and hostile to God. In the last four months since Roe v. Wade was leaked to be overturned, there have been 50, if not more, attacks on different pregnancy centers across the country. These things, uh, one most recently, uh, recent-ish, I guess June was a while ago, but in June at a ministry called Compass Care, which is a pregnancy center um, that does a lot of things like what Heartbeat does here in Lima, in June, there was an organization that came in the middle of the night, set off the smoke detectors with Molotov cocktails, um, graffitied the place up, broke computers, broke windows, just general vandalism. These are the kind of things that we're seeing often. Uh, a quote from Kathy Maurer, who is a vice president at Compass Care, says, we became a nationally recognized organization overnight. These who have done this 
to this organization, she says, have done more, sorry, <laughs> this person rather, Kathy Maurer, has done more than 200 interviews so far since June. She says it put us out there and pro-life, believing Christians have started helping us. So you can hear her perspective is not one that ends with oh, opposition, oh, conflict, oh, hostility. We need to stop. People aren't liking this. We need to come up with a new business model. We need to come up with some new truth to embrace. Bearing witness to truth has a cost. And Christ calls all of his disciples to consider that cost. And true disciples, true branches connected to the true vine are called to endure, even in bearing witness to the truth of Christ before a hostile world. Jesus talks about these things in order that his disciples will remember that he has said them, that after they've happened, as they're happening, that, that responses such as what Kathy has said to the attack on the pregnancy center in June, that his disciples would not be surprised by what happens, but largely and ultimately would be encouraged. Seems backwards, doesn't it? You set up a ministry, you set up an outreach, you do some kind of gospel witness to the world and your hope is that people will, will come and receive and believe and be transformed and have a positive response to the message. Christ would see to it that as these things happen, we would remember that he has told us they would happen. That this is no surprise to him and therefore no surprise to us. Do you remember what he said in a passage prior in John 15? He said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you what? Friends. And why was that? What's the distinction he makes between a servant and a friend? The servant, do you remember? Yeah, he doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because everything I've heard from who? The father I have revealed to you including stuff like this. Friendship with Christ, as James mentions as we looked last week too, is the opposite of what we have with the world. We, we can try to have friendship with, with the world, but we can't have friendship with the world and friendship with Christ because James tells us that friendship with the world is enmity. It is hostility to Christ. There is, unfortunately, for many of us who would like to take a passive perspective on things, there is no gray area or middle ground between Christ and the world that is opposed to him. We will not somehow figure out this great mystery of being the special Christians who figured out how to be friends with Christ and friends with the world. That's not to say that every conversation you have with the world has to be hostile and, and volatile and, and aggressive. We are not ones who are being called to create conflict with the world. Did you hear that? Because a lot of believers, and I'm not saying any of you, know you're all perfect. But a lot of times the church takes this call to endure before a hostile world as we bear witness, and we almost take it as a call to create that hostility. You can see in church history um, the misunderstandings of the early disciples um, first few hundred years, there, there were, the church would go through waves where it seems as though people were throwing themselves into persecution so that they could be martyred and therefore know that they're going to make it to heaven. Does that sound like a world religion you're aware of today? 
It's very easy for the church to let worldly thinking influence their perspective of relationship with God. And Christ is trying to preserve his people in this. So the reason I put endure in the call, the overall message of this passage, as, as I understand it at least, is because if you zoom down to 16, he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Brothers and sisters, if there is one thing that is the greatest danger to our staying in Christ, it is our misunderstanding our mission to the world. This is why Jesus wants to be very clear about these kinds of things. He does not want any of his disciples to be surprised by what could happen. And it happens. I mean, we're not living in the exact, you know, copy and paste situation of the apostles who all but one were killed for the faith. But we recognize daily, if, if, you, if we keep our eyes open to it, we can see that we have brothers and sisters who are suffering for the name of Christ. And these things, again, ought not be surprises. Listen to what Peter says. I love, this is so helpful to me in my own consideration of this. But he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So often we act like that, don't we? I've been a good Christian. What's with the fiery trial? Obedience to God should yield the blessings of God. And it does, but so often we misinterpret what the blessings really are. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial. So it's something strange. Rather, Peter says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Easier said than done, I know. But Peter said it, not me. Rejoice in the fiery trial. Remember the teachings of Christ. So to back up again, in John 15, we saw last week, what does Christ expect of us as we abide together in him? This is my commandment, that you love one another. Do you see, if you look down again, please, verse 17 of John 15, these things I have commanded to you so that you will love one another. Naturally, in a lot of our Bibles, we have a new paragraph heading, the hatred of the world. There's a contrast here. Sometimes those paragraph headings, they'll tr trick us into thinking that it's a new section, as the chapter divisions do sometimes. But consider the closeness of 17 to 18. These things I command you so that you will love one another. 18, if the world hates you. Do you not hear just in those first few words the importance of our love for one another? I mean, this could be a great place to just zoom back and say, let's check in. Are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because the day may come where we're all we have, where we may not be able to rely to some extent on other things, other people in the world. The opposition is growing, church. Are we abiding in the love of Christ and therefore following his command to obey him as well. So what does he expect of us as we abide together in him? Love. What can we expect from the world as we abide in Christ? Hatred. If the world hates you, Jesus doesn't say, if you find it difficult. He doesn't say, if things don't seem to work out. He's talking about hatred. Active, aggressive, 
evil desires against another person. But we need to heed this call. Back again to verse 16 that we looked at last week. He said, I appointed you so that your fruit should abide. Sorry, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus last week was already starting to move us into this idea of mission, of bearing witness to the world around us. And he is the one who is appointing us. He is the one who is seeing to it that we don't fall away so that as we bear witness, we don't need to have the fear that this world could take away our most precious thing, which is our right standing with God. Disciples of Christ abide. Disciples of Christ endure together in the love of Christ. And they're chosen to proclaim Christ to a world that abides in opposition to Christ. Remember the context of this. Jesus warned in the beginning of John 15 that there are lost branches that will be cut away for not bearing the right fruit. And those lost branches will show that they're not connected to the true vine, but connected to a false vine, connected to the vine of this world, connected to ultimately the leadership of the prince of the power of the air, the great enemy of God and his people, the great deceiver of those who do not know God. These are heavy things to consider, particularly on the night of Jesus' hour of suffering. But what we see in the context of the disciples is not that far away from what we see in our world today. The big issue in verse 21, Jesus reveals why is there opposition? Because the world doesn't know the Father and it doesn't know me. We can't expect the world to recognize our righteousness. First of all, because the only perspective the world has of righteousness is personal, actual righteousness, self-manufactured. We've been given a right standing with God world will not recognize that church the world will need to be transformed transferred from the dead false branch vine of this world to the true and living vine of christ but in this world where we see the disciples will have to face personal religion personal uh, self-righteous religion it's not any different in that sense today We see people who ultimately are going to say, my right standing before God or anybody else is based on my works. And we declare a gospel, not of our own works, but of the works of Christ. There's a lack of understanding in the world that doesn't know Jesus. In verses 22 through 24, Jesus points out that rejecting Christ is the fruit of connection to this vine. Look again down there, if you will, with me. If, they had, if I had come, sorry, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my father. Now, let's clarify something here. Because as we understand something in the Bible that seems contrary to something else, we need to work these things out. So, In Romans, we see that all have done what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When Jesus says, if I haven't, if I hadn't come and spoken, or if I hadn't come and done these works, they would have, they would not have been guilty of sin. Is he saying that people are better off not having a witness of Christ to them? Could that be? This is easier than you think it is, because he commands us to bear witness, right? What Jesus is saying is that they have had such an exposure to who God is 
that their sin has now been revealed to be the deeper reality of every person apart from Christ. Okay? What he's saying is not, hey, you know what? If you really love somebody, don't share the gospel with them. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. Especially for those of us who have believed the gospel. How could it be a good thing to have that taken away from us? Well, if all have sinned, and Jesus says they wouldn't be guilty of sin, what he's talking about is not the sinful nature or the, the rest of the, the spectrum of a personal sin, but rather the revealing of the root of that sin, the revealing of their connection to the vine of this world. That is the concern. That is the reality that we face every day that we try to share Christ with someone. Recognize, though, as we consider the mission and consider the rejection, recognize the temptation that we have to avoid persecution and that the, way, the easiest way we might think we can find to avoid that persecution is conformity to the world. Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary estimates that from the beginning of the church to today, there has been over 70 million Christians martyred for the faith. That is, to compare that to a number today, uh, as of 2020, Thailand's entire population. So if you could take all the Christians of all history and put them in Thailand and, and populate that world in its overpopulation that apparently that country faces, and just wipe out that entire nation, that is the last 2,000 years of the church. Today, 340 million Christians face persecution. Open Doors Ministry says that that is basically one in eight Christians are facing persecution today. Now, another number to compare that to, the entire U.S. population, I think this is of 2021, is 329 million. So just shy of the amount of Christians today who are being persecuted. Ecclesiastes 7.10 came across this yesterday. The writer says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. There is no good old days for the church. This has been the bread and butter, the normal experience of Christians for 2,000 years. And yet, we have such a distinction from it, don't we? We have such a separation from the idea of persecution. We may have had uncomfortable conversations. We may have missed out on job opportunities. We may have uh, difficult times uh, celebrating holidays with our, our family members. Things like that may be real. But a lot of this persecution that we hear of with these kind of statistics, we kind of look at it and go, I've been avoiding it so far. How could I keep avoiding it? J.C. Ryle, the preacher from the 1800s, says, nothing is so mischievous as the habit of indulging false expectations. Indulging false expectations. That I could think that though persecution is a widespread experience for so much of the church, that I might be that outside of that number somehow and experience a, a cushy and comfortable ride all the way to heaven. Church, Part of me wishes that I could come up and say, here's how you can avoid persecution. Please be careful. I don't want you to be harmed. Of course. Of course, that desire is in all of us, right? We don't like the idea of our brothers and sisters suffering for the gospel. But it is a greater danger that we indulge the temptation to avoid that persecution than that we face it faithfully. Conformity to the world our, our thoughts are, if, if, the, if the world can just think I'm one of them, 
then maybe I can avoid the aggression the world has towards Christ. Again, James' words echo in my mind. Friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God. We cannot be in between friends with Christ and friends of the world. The cost of consistency with following Christ is going to be conflict with our culture. It will happen, church. It may not be exactly how we read it in the New Testament. It may not be how you read in, the, in, the, in Fox's Book of Martyrs or if you go to the Voice of the Martyrs website, there's, there's varying degrees of persecution. But it is essential for us this morning as we especially com- prepare our hearts to com- come to communion, to partake of a representation of the body and blood of Christ. We share in the sufferings of Christ, Peter tells us, not only in the life of Christ. Persecution, then, is also a means, as we've talked in weeks past, about the visible and invisible church. Persecution is a means that the invisible church becomes visible. It's a way that we look at believers and recognize that is a true follower of Christ because they're not backing down from the opposition of the world. I kind of looked at this passage and think of three dangers regarding opposition that we need to consider for ourselves today. Not only for ourselves, but for our families, for our church family, for our loved ones as well. First, there's a danger of being unprepared for opposition. This is the most obvious one. I don't know if you woke up this morning and thought, Lord, if I have to face persecution for you, I'm willing to do it. I didn't do that. I woke up with a million other things on my mind besides that thing. The first danger we need to be aware of is that we may very well be unprepared for opposition in any degree. This is why Jesus says in verse 20, remember these things. Remember that I have told you these things. Living detached from the word that we are called to remember is being detached from the true vine of Christ as well. So abide in the words of Christ. Let his word abide in you so that when you face that fiery trial, you'll remember, hey, this is no surprise to me. Who am I following anyway? We follow Christ into his eternal, glorious, peaceful kingdom, but we follow Christ through a kingdom that is opposed to all of that. We follow a Christ who first went to the cross before retrieving his crown yet again. Secondly, there's a danger of falling away. And I hesitated typing these words. There's a danger of falling away. Boy, we love that doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. I love that doctrine. That is a, that is a you know, we're going to sing Christ in the solid rock I stand. That, that is one of those doctrines that I'm just like, I stand in Christ. I will persevere. Not because of my own strength, but because of Christ in me. Because I'm in Christ. But Jesus says very clearly in verse 16, 1, to whom? Who is he talking to here? Not just any Christians. He's talking to the apostles. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, he says, I'm saying these things to keep you from falling away. Implication, you're not going to fall away. Reason, I said these things to you. For us, application, abiding in the word of Christ keeps us from falling away. Not in a mystical, magical way in that, hey, I opened up my Bible and I read six verses and I, I did my devotional time, so I'm kept, I'm good. However I sin today, it doesn't matter. Abiding in the word means you're transformed by the word. It means that your life is conforming to the word of Christ. And the danger of falling away is real for us if we're not bearing fruit. Jesus said, I appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. The fruit that we bear attached to the true vine is not going to wither. It's not going to spoil. 
we'll know that it's not real fruit from the vine of Christ when it does spoil, right? We'll know the efforts of our own hands because they will come to nothing. But the efforts of the vine working through us as branches will endure. So there's a danger of being unprepared. There's a danger of falling away. And scariest one of all, there's a danger of hating Christ. Why is it that he says the world's going to hate you? Because they hated him first. Brothers and sisters, let us remember we are so blessed. I mean, we have every reason to be encouraged that we are in Christ. But the moment before you were in Christ, you were in the kingdom of death. I mean, the moment when you transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life, it was an instant where you you transferred your membership entirely. And you were, before Christ spoke the words of the gospel to you and you responded in faith and he made you born again, before all that happened, you were among those in the world who would hate him because they do not know him. There is still that danger for us today. Christian, you should not be so secure in your own works that you think, I will prove that I am not a hater of Christ or I will prove I am not connected to the false vine, but rather Christ the vine will prove his connectedness to me. There's a big difference between those two positions. Christ's terms are not friendship with me and friendship with the world, but allegiance to him and abiding in him and all that comes with it even hatred and opposition from the world. But before that, there's a danger of us hating Christ. We cannot find that neutral standing ground where we say, Lord, I'd love to sing songs with, to you on Sunday morning, but leave the persecution stuff out. You either have all of Christ or you have none of him. And this is the sin that we are in danger of in this regarding hating Christ. It is self-idolatry. It is loving this world more than the world that we're promised. And church, my prayer for you all week has been that you would find yourselves not loving this world, not loving this life, but looking to the life ahead, looking to what Christ will bring us to. Look at verse 20 again, if you will. Jesus says, remember the word I told, I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Our Hatred, our danger of hating Christ, our danger of self-idolatry would result in us thinking ourselves greater than Christ himself. If there were such a thing as capital sins, which every sin is capital, can you imagine a worse thing to do than to think yourself greater than Christ? Yet when we try to avoid and try to put ourselves in a position where we can avoid persecution by conforming to the world, we are counting ourselves as greater than Christ. And amazingly, the one who washed the feet of his disciples chose us at the cross to redeem us from the world and to keep us in him. I don't know about recommending any movie anymore. But there's a movie from a long time ago called Troy. And in it, this character Achilles is basically a hired soldier to fight the champion of the rival nation. And so the king calls up Achilles and says, Achilles, come forward and fight this guy on behalf of me. And Achilles says a great line as he walks to the battlefield. He says, imagine a king who fights his own battles. Wouldn't that be a sight? 
Jesus Christ, with whom we identify, with whom we find our life, is the king who fought his own battles. And not only his own battles, church, but your battles as well. He has taken up the sword against your sin at the cross. He has taken up the sword against your idea, your idolatry of self-preservation. And he has shown you a love at the cross that can surpass all temptations to say, I just want to get out of this persecution thing. He who first laid down his life for us, his enemies, Ephesians 2 tells us, is the one who can give us the answer to these dangers that we face in regards to persecution and conflict. We have to abide in him. In verse 19, he says that he chose us out of the world. Our key to facing these dangers is just the title we've been emphasizing for three weeks. Be in Christ. Abide in him. Yeah, bear witness. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to your friends, your family, your neighbors. Do all those things. Do so abiding in Christ alone. Because he chose us out of the world. I did a quick sweep through the Gospel of John. What are we chosen for? Listen to this. We are chosen to believe on Christ. The Gospel is not figure out this Rubik's Cube of who God is and you might get to go to heaven. You are chosen to believe. This is the mission of John, the, the Gospel writer. I write all these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and in believing him you might have eternal life. You are chosen to believe on Christ. You are chosen to be born again. Not to make yourself into something you weren't before, but to have new life infused into you. To be now grafted into the true vine of who Christ is. You've been chosen to be made whole. Do you remember the paralyzed man at the well who would hope that he could just scoot himself over and dip himself into the well and be healed? Jesus comes in and says, I'm the only one who can make you whole. We're chosen to be brought in by the shepherd, the good shepherd, the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep the shepherd who is the door for the sheep, the way to eternal life. We're chosen to feast on the body and blood of Christ, as we'll celebrate in a moment. Do you remember in John chapter 6, when they, Jesus had that huge crowd, and they all just wanted something from him? And he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Those who understand the truth of that message are chosen to abide in Christ, to abide in his word, to come out of the tombs of this world like Lazarus, to wash the feet of the disciples, to bear fruit, to love the church, to bear witness, and to face this opposition with confidence. Christ is victorious. In verse 2, Christ shows us, I, he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming. Remember this language of the hour? Jesus is now inviting us into the hour of his persecution. And is he not worthy of that church? Is he not worthy of our entering into even something as dreadful and scary as this? Knowing, though, that our Savior is by our side, we have nothing to fear. Lastly, how can we endure and bear witness by the Spirit? Well, I just answered it. We endure and bear witness by the Spirit. We endure and bear witness by the Word of Christ. It will not become easier to obey this command. Anytime you read this in the Bible, don't think to yourself, I'll put this into practice next week. You know, I'll, I'll start this out tomorrow. You know, it's not going to be easier tomorrow to be prepared for persecution. It's something you have to decide now. It's something you need to respond to upon hearing it from God's word. We need to respond definitively today, especially as we come to communion. I hope you don't feel like I've trapped you because expository preaching means that we just preach through books of the Bible. I wasn't planning on persecution being the theme for communion this Sunday. 
but I'm almost prompted to say, or at least I, I feel the Spirit saying to me in these moments of thinking of communion, if I'm not ready to be persecuted for Christ, I shouldn't partake of what he's done, of the persecution he's endured for me. Check your hearts this morning. We can respond definitively today because the Spirit is with us. Christ sends the Helper. He sends his keeping power. How will we not fall away? How will we endure? Because of his word, because of the illuminating power of the Spirit. Do you see connections here? We spent some time talking about the Spirit several weeks ago. And the Spirit is the one who shines light on God's word so that we might understand what Christ has spoken to us. Okay, last thing, three quick things. How do I bear witness and endure by the Spirit and the Word? Three very short things. First of all, follow his lead. When Jesus brings in the Spirit, he says, the Spirit will bear witness, and you also will bear witness. This is a funny thing in the Greek because it's an imperative and an indicative. Remember, the imperative is a command, and indicative is a, an information, right? You're going to do this. I'm telling you to do it. But I'm also telling you, you can do it. I'm telling you, you can endure because the Spirit's with you. Jesus doesn't hold the Spirit back from any of his people, does he? Why would he call us to something so grand and so terrifying in a way, but not give us what we need to endure? Follow the lead of the Spirit. Secondly, speak by his power. Speak by his power. The helper is given. He's the one who's bearing witness already. Speak according to what the Spirit leads you in his word. That's not to get mystical and hokey and all that stuff. Leave all that behind. Walking by the Spirit just means this. Spirit, help me not to walk by my own flesh. Spirit, make decisions for me. Spirit, would you show me how I can follow Christ today? And then trusting in that. It's as simple as that and as difficult as that. Acts 4.32. I love that Luke says that the disciples at that point began preaching with great power. Nothing changed between Acts 4.32 and September 25th, 2022. We have the same spirit. Lastly, move in his timing. Move in his timing. Jesus says, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. All the way back in John chapter 1. Think, think immediately of Nathaniel sitting under the tree, knowing immediately upon Jesus' word that he was the Messiah. Now, we haven't been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry but he has been with us since the beginning of our life in him. And since the beginning of your moment that you transferred from death to life, you've been enlisted into this mission of bearing witness. Move in his timing. This is the task that you were chosen for. Chosen from the point of your salvation. Yeah, you're in a process of pre preparation. Don't, don't consider that today you're all ready to just take a, a plane flight out to the Middle East and, in, and find the most dangerous place to proclaim the gospel in. Be where you are and be ready to proclaim, to bear witness to who Christ is. Don't be a cavalier about it, but don't be a coward. So we have great reason to trust in Christ.